that whatever you want us to hear tonight, that we will hear and we will respond to what you tell us to respond to, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So tonight we are going to begin our, our long series in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And you're like, that seems like a really short verse. How are we going to stay there all long? Just hold on to your seats. We're going to do it and it's going to be amazing. Okay. Um, but Hebrews 12, verse 1 uh, tells us that we are in a race. I don't know if you knew that. A lot of people don't actually, but we are in a race. Now, I need to preface this with something, okay? We have been talking about faith yesterday and this morning. It's only been two days. Yikes. Wow. Okay, yesterday and this morning, we were talking about faith. And last night was when we talked about saving faith, right? And so tonight, okay, when we're talking about the race, we are talking about those who have looked to Jesus, those who are on the bridge. Y'all with me? Okay, those who are in the race. Um, you guys have devotion booklets, right? Okay. I was reading the devotion booklet, and now my days are running together. It was either yes, Monday or Tuesday. You guys will help me out because you'll remember which one it is better than me. Um, uh, the devotional was talking about being on the right track, being in the right race. And if you're not on the right track, then you're not in the race, right? You guys remember reading something like that? So, like, if you're racing your dirt bike down on your own road, but you're not in the race at the Bristol Motor Speedway, then you're not in, in the race because just driving your car on your road is not the same as, as actually getting on the racing track and racing. Okay, you guys all with me? Okay, so when we're talking about the race tonight, when I talk about the race that we are in as we begin this study, we're talking to those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You are in a race. Okay? All right. We all on the same page so far? Okay. All the heads are like this. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, hopefully we're all on the same page. All right, so we are in a race. We are in a battle. We are in a journey. Um, we are called strangers and aliens of this world all throughout Scripture. Now, let me tell you, sometimes it's long and sometimes it's hard, okay? But we do need to know that we are in a race. So what I'm going to do is, is kind of weird. We're going to take this verse backwards. Don't ask me why. We just are. Okay, so little by little, we're going to take this verse backwards. So let's look at the very last part of the verse. When, when I study, um, this is just me and how I study. When I study, um, when I read a verse, things, things jump out at me. Have you ever read a verse and you're like, oh, that sounds weird or that's cool. So that's what happened to me as I started reading Hebrews chapter 12. And there was one phrase that really stuck out to me. And I was like, I've read this verse before, but this seems like a weird phrase. And here's that phrase. And it says, um, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And that phrase, the race marked out for us, really caught my attention. And I was like, what does this mean? What, what, what is this? I, didn't, I never really thought about that phrase before. And so I, I started doing a word study on it. If you don't know what a word study is, come talk to me or one of your counselors afterwards. I love to talk to you about word studies. I love word studies. Okay, so I started doing some word studies, doing some research on it. And I'm going to tell you what I, what I found. Um, the word that is used for marked out means appointed or set before. Appointed or set before. Okay? So let me ask you a question. Has anybody in here ever run a race? 5K, 3K, marathon, half marathon, something like that. Oh, wow, awesome. You guys are way more fit than me. Okay, so if, when you run a race, here's my question. 
How did you know where you were going? Okay, you're following signs. It's marked out, right? Okay, you follow signs or people or they say go this direction, right? Okay, your course has been marked out for you. This is the picture that Paul is giving, okay? He is, he is using this picture of an athlete running a race. And we're going to see this as we continue in this study. But he's using this picture and he says that there is a race marked out for us. It is appointed, it is set before us by God. Okay? Now, here's the thing. When I started thinking about this, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life, fairly frequently, that I am going through something, feel something, thinking something, dealing with something, and I think, how on earth is this appointed by God for me to go through? This may be a silly one, but I'll give you a personal example. My very first internship, this is not with CBM, don't worry, okay? My very first internship, I was supposed to be there for two years, I was supposed to raise support, I was coming on to this ministry, and I was gonna be their intern for two years. It was not fun. I'll just put it that way, okay? It was hard, I got to a point um, that I was calling my parents just about every other day crying. And I told you I don't cry very often, but I was like crying every day because I was miserable and I did not understand. I was positive that God called me and told me to do something. And I stepped out and I started going and I started walking with him and it got miserable. And I thought, why on or how on earth can this be my appointed course? Now, what I didn't realize at the time was that if I had never been to that internship, I would have never met someone who got me somewhere, who met where I met someone else, who got me somewhere else to where I am here today. I know that's crazy. But man, it blows my mind to this day because it was miserable. Sometimes we put ourselves in situations, okay, that are miserable, but other times we start going through things and it's not because of what we've done, it's just what we're walking through, okay? And there is a difference, we'll talk about that in the next session as we get into the rest of this first, okay? So here, here's the deal, as I started thinking about this and I was like, okay, okay, this is a, a course marked out for us, it is appointed for us, it is set before us, but life is such a struggle, and it is so hard sometimes. How can this be? How can this be? And I'm going to answer that by first looking at a bunch of different scriptures. And by simply saying this right, right here, I need you guys to hear me this. We're going to look at who God is. Who God is. And there are two things you need to know about God that go really hand in hand. God is in control. And God is sovereign. God is in control. And God is sovereign. 
And those two things, I don't know a lot of things, guys, but I know two things. I know God is in control, and I know my God is sovereign. So let's look at scripture about that. We're going to shift our focus, and we're going to look at who God is. And I promise we're all, we're, it's all going to come back in a nice, neat circle. So hang in with me. If you want to flip through scriptures with me, do it. If, if you're like, I'm not fast at flipping through my Bible, that's fine. Write them down so that you can look them up. Okay? But I'm going to flip through a bunch of scriptures. And I'm first going to go to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. If it helps you, I was telling Clea this. I didn't, I didn't put like sticky notes in my Bible for these, so I'm looking them up too. So this could go great or it could go disastrous. I don't know. It's gonna, she said it will test your Bible trivia. It's like, okay. All right, Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45. We're gonna be looking at verses six through seven. And there's like, there's so many verses. I mean, we could be here all night, um, but I found some um, that really proclaim who God is. And this is a verse that proclaims, where God is proclaiming that he is the only God, that he is the only God. And I'm gonna start in verse six, and I'm gonna go through verse seven, and it says, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. God is God Almighty. God is God Almighty. From the setting of the sun, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, I guess it's backwards. I said that backwards. So from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, He is God. He is God. Flip over to Isaiah 55. These are more well-known verses. Isaiah 55, I'm going to be reading verses 8 and 9. And it says, For my thoughts, this is God speaking again, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your ways thoughts. Our God is great. Far above us. This is what I need you girls to get. As we, as we go through these, these scriptures, we are beginning to paint a picture of who our God is. Our God is God Almighty. He is creator of all things. He has power and dominion over all things. He is higher than anything or anyone his ways are greater. None can compare. Job chapter 12. The little book of Job. Job chapter 12. In verse 10, 
He is God Almighty. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, he is greater, he is powerful. But man, this verse says it all. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Job declares the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29. That's a weird one. Go backwards from Job. Oh, I got into 2 Chronicles. That's not what I'm looking for. 1 Chronicles 29. There we go. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. This is David, King David, and he declares for us who God is. And in verses 11 through 12, a part of his prayer that he praises the Lord in his presence in the whole assembly. And he says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. David declares God's greatness and his power and his strength and his glory and his majesty because God is greater and more powerful and more majestic than anyone or anything. To be in the presence of the Lord Almighty, to see his glory. If you look at any account in scripture, when anyone has encountered God, they fall on their face because he is that amazing and glorious and mighty. Daniel, Daniel chapter four. The reason I'm choosing Daniel chapter four is because not only do we see, see King David, who was a, a believer, he was an Israelite, but now we're going to see an account of a Gentile king who did not believe in God. And because he did not believe in God, he was sent out into the wilderness to live on his hands and knees and eat grass. And it's a very interesting account of King Nebuchadnezzar, which you can read later. But he comes to his senses, his sanity is restored, and he praises, the very first thing he does is praise the Most High and honor him and glorify him who lives forever. In verse, the end of verse 34 says, his dominion is an internal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. 
He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar knew who God was and his glory and his power and what was due him. He tells us that his dominion is an eternal dominion. God is never retiring, never going out of style, never giving up his throne. His dominion is forever. End of story. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Guys, God was way before you were, and he will be way after. He always is. He always was. He always will be. He is God. He does as he pleases. His powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can question him. He is God Almighty. Revelations chapter 1. <coughs> Revelations chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 17 and 18. Jesus is revealing himself. Um, he came to John and gives John this revelation. By the way, it's not revelations, it's revelation, because it's one revelation, just so y'all know. Verse 17 through 18. This is John speaking. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is proclaiming his eternity, his sovereignty, his power, and his dominion. God is God Almighty. Our God is sovereign. And I know we went through a bunch of verses, and trust me, we could go through this entire thing and keep reading because it declares who God is. He knows all. Nothing catches our God by surprise. Nothing. It's never happened and it's never going to happen. So here's the question. If he is sovereign, if he's in control, he's appointed and marked out this race for me, if he knows what I'm going through, how can he let me suffer like this? Is that not the question we ask? If he knows what I'm going through, how can he let me suffer like this? So now we're going to go see an account of a man who struggled with the exact same thing. Go back to the book of Job. 
We're gonna be going to the end. We're gonna be reading just pieces of it because I don't think you guys want me to read all four chapters. Start in chapter 38. How many of you are familiar with Job's story? Just raise your hand. Okay, a good account. Half and half. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set the stage for those of you who may not know. Job was a righteous man, okay? He did what the law required of him. He had, Leon, how many children did he have? He had seven sons, three daughters, ten. I was thinking it was ten. He had ten children. He had uh, all kinds of flocks because and herds. Those are what were considered, like, he was considered rich, okay? Like, today, we wouldn't consider someone with a bunch of donkeys and sheep. I mean, we'd be like, okay, that's cool. Um, but that's what it, that's what it was it, where he lived, okay? So he had bunches of, of servants and flocks and all of these things and herds. And um, what, what we get to see in Job, even though Job didn't see it, is we see Satan come before the Lord and the Lord says, look at my servant Job. He is righteous. And Satan says, well, of course he's righteous. He's got a cushy life. Take away all his stuff and then watch him. He'll curse you to your face. So the Lord says, okay, you may take away all of his possessions, but you're not allowed to put a finger on Job himself. So within one day, he loses almost all his servants, all of his wealth, okay, his herds and his flocks, and all of his children. And we see this thing come back with Satan and the Lord again. And, and he says, see, see my servant Job. He, he is great. He is righteous. And he, he glorifies my name. And Satan says, well, that's because he's healthy. There's nothing wrong with him. And so uh, Satan comes back um, with the permission of the Lord. And, and Job has boils and sores all over his body. And so then we see this whole book of Job, and you'll have to read it for yourself because it's very interesting, and I still don't understand all of it. Um, but he has his friends, and him and his friends, there's this discourse. The book of Job is this discourse between Job and his friends, okay? And we see where Job says, you know, um, God is God, um, God can do as he pleases. Um, from, from dirt I was, from dirt I shall return. Like God has given me life. God has given it all. He can take it away, all of this stuff. And then we start to see as we continue through the book of Job, Job is trying to plead his case. And he's like, I have done nothing wrong. I am righteous. Uh, there is, there's no reason I should be suffering. Lord, come speak to me and, and get, bring your case before me. What have I done to deserve this? And the Lord comes and speaks to Job. And let me tell you, <laughs> chapters 38 through, I think it's 41, the Lord speaks to Job. And it, if you want to be humbled, you just read those chapters, okay? 
I'm going to read a couple things that he says. The Lord starts by saying, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the seas behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this is how far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Go to chapter 29. And he begins, he goes through all of creation almost. And, and here, listen, he goes now into, into uh, he starts with the goats. Do you know when mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the month, months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young? In verse 5, he says, who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied his ropes? Who gave the wasteland his home and the salt flats his inhabitants? Verse 9 says, will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will he stay by your manger at night? Verse 13, he, he says, will the wings of the ostrich flap joyfully? But they cannot compare to the pinions and feathers of the stork. She lay her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animals may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Did you give the horse his strength? or clothe his neck with flowing mane? Did you make him leap like a locust, striking terror with his proud snorting? Go to chapter 40, verse 9, I'm going to read. Do you have an arm like God's? Can you hear voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the furry of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. The next verse tells us that there were dinosaurs in the Bible. Look at the behemoth, which is a dinosaur just so you all know, which I made along with you and which feeds on the grass like an ox, what strength he has in his loins, what power in the muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are close-knit. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like rods of iron. He ranks first among the works of God, yet his maker can approach him with his sword. 
Verse 41 tells us that, that there were uh, sea monsters or whatever you want to call them because it says, verse 1 of 41 says, can you pull the Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging for you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Can you do any of that? I can't. But my God can. My God is the one who set the ocean's boundaries in place. My God is the one who placed every star in the sky and knows its name. My God is the one who watches all the animals, who places them where they are supposed to be, who knows what they need and when they give birth. My God is the one who created the dinosaur and in its great strength, no, no man can tame it. God can. My God is the one who can go up to the Leviathan, a beast and a creature that no man can wrangle, and yet he can approach him, he can speak to him, and that Leviathan and the behemoth and every other creature will obey the word of the Lord because our God is almighty. He is God. He is sovereign, and he is in control. So here's the deal. The problem is not that God does not care for us or our problems or our struggles. The problem is that we do not have a right view of God. When we recognize his power, his majesty, and his sovereignty, we should be like Isaiah in chapter 6. He sees the throne room of God and begins to see the glory of the Lord on the throne. And his response is, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I am of a people of unclean lips. Because we cannot compare. We do not deserve anything. He is God. Who can question him? Who can say, why have you done this? I can't. I can't. When we come into the presence of the Lord and recognize his majesty and glory, we begin to recognize and remember who we are as well. We remember we are dirty, rotten sinners without him. All of our good deeds are as filthy rags. We deserve the wages. Okay? In Romans 6, 23, the wages of death. We deserve our wages. We mess up. 
We make decision, decisions without him, and we are a mess. But our God is merciful and gracious and loving. And despite our sin, he made a way. When we look at that, this whole thing from his perspective, from a biblical perspective, and we recognize who God is, instead of saying that he has marked out a path that is too difficult for us, we see that we are allowed. He has made a way for us to come into the race. It's not that God does not care about us, but that we do not have the accurate view of God. When we look at Jesus, we look to Jesus for our faith, he promises to seal us with the Holy Spirit our future has a hope and it is secure. We can be assured that our gracious, loving God has marked out our path for us. That no matter what we face, we are safe in his arms. Do you girls see that? It's not that he's marked out this hard path for us and wants us to suffer. No. He has made a way for a sinner to be a part of the race, to be sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, and that no matter what you face on the path appointed for you, you are safe in the Father's arms. That is what it means to be on the race marked for us. He is sovereign. I know you guys thought that was a lot, and that's, that's where we were going to end, but it's, oh, we might have to end there. That's okay, because we can do that. We'll pick up tomorrow, because I think it's too late. Yeah, okay. Got to get my head in there. Okay, so for tonight, tonight, as we close, I want you guys to remember that you are in a race marked out for you. If you have looked to Jesus, if you have trusted him as your savior, you are on a race marked out for you. And tonight, I want you to recognize who your savior is, that he is gracious, that he is loving, and what he has done for you. He is worthy. The song we sang, he is worthy of our praise. We're going to pick up tomorrow night, talk more about the race. And I know we're a little late, so I hope that's okay. Can we close with a song, Miss Kathy? Okay, we're going to close with a song. I'm going to pray. Clay is going to play us a song. Guys, I know it's late, but if you need to talk to your counselor, grab them, take them out to the pavilion and talk, okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you are worthy, Lord, 
that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you have marked out a race for us. And Lord, to know that despite who I am and what we have done and what is happening, that we are a broken, sinful people in a broken and sinful world, and that the God of the universe, who has all power and all dominion, who is worthy of all glory and all majesty, would be gracious enough and merciful enough to send his only son for us. That we would be able to have eternity with you. And not only that we would have a future hope, but Lord, that we are promised that you are with us and that our sovereign God has marked out our race. Nothing catches you by surprise. We are safe in your hands. And the fact that you would care that much about me, about these girls, all we can do is praise you. So Lord, tonight I pray that our hearts would overflow with gratitude and praise to the one and only true God who is worthy, worthy of our honor. In Jesus' precious name.